You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 24. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey son, hey son! Hey, hey, son. Hey, son. Hey, son. Um, nice. Good to be back. How are you guys? Good, good. Very well, thank you. How are you? Pretty well. I'm actually speaking from Hungary now. Uh, not staying here for long. I'm flying back to the UK tomorrow. Hmm? And soon I'm going to be traveling much further than that. Ooh, exciting. Ooh. For you. <laughs> We we are now in three different countries officially. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, we great. are. Yeah, which is great. Kind of a point with whole podcast to begin with. <laughs> yeah, normally what we're doing is actually cheating because we are from three different countries, but we are actually positioned in two. So it's, that's kind of cheating. Yeah. We have different perspectives, so that's not cheating. I think it's good. But Pontus, have you ever thought of moving to England? I, I can't now. It's full, I hear. Yeah, but... But the other thing is, what for, Jelena? <laughs> From Sweden to England. Yeah. That's just absolutely mindless thing to do. Well, it's only only it's... if I want to move outside of the EU. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so funny. <laughs> for that, you could move to Norway as well. Sure. But I can't afford it. Norway is crazy expensive. Oops. You know, pizza is yeah. like uh, 15 pounds. Well, almost like in England. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so where is it gonna? You're gonna be, Andres? You you flying to some exotic country soon? No, not oh, okay. Exotic in a way, in certain ways, it it is exotic. <laughs> it's called Canada. You might have heard of it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great country. That's where everybody will be. After <laughs> it's the pretty year. great. It's the second greatest country in the world. <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> it's, yeah. I'll, I think it'll get overpopulated pretty quickly when Trump becomes the president. Oh, don't say that. I've recently heard an interview. interview uh, yeah, it was on Skepticality with uh, Michael Shermer. He, he tried to apply a bit of caution with uh, those statements. Oh, yeah, if Trump gets elected, I'm moving to Canada. Yeah, th th there have been lots of those statements in the past and nothing happened. But actually, the other thing is that if Trump gets elected, that's that's like a disaster that has never occurred to the United States before. Um, not even with uh, George W. Bush. So if if not now, when to move to Canada? But if we have, we know we do have a few um, Canadian listeners. Mm -hmm. So they are Canadian listeners. I'm just saying that very soon I'm going to be traveling through Canada. Mm -hmm. Three times during the summer, actually. So if you're interested, I'm very happy to try and meet up with you. As I've done in the past on several occasions. Uh, the, the Ottawa skeptics, they've treated me very, very nicely. Um, and my requests to meet up with fellow skeptics in the city so i'm really hoping i can meet up with them as well and actually last year i did meet up with uh hosts of the trc trc the reality check mm. and oh those guys are awesome and by the way trc uh have you checked the website podcastawards.com the actual uh slate has been announced with uh the esp not being present on the slate ah. So in the science and medicine category, actually, I do not know if we've been nominated. 
If so, if any of our listeners nominated us, we really thank you for that. But after nominations, there is a phase when they evaluate the the podcast with uh, different aspects to check. Um, we didn't make it to the the actual slate, so the voting starts on Sunday, the twenty ninth of May. That's the eleventh podcast awards, and I was very happy. Of course, I was a bit disappointed that we didn't make it to the slate, but I was very happy to find the reality check among the nominees they are very good yeah they are very good i i think it's not an exaggeration to say that their podcast is one of the greatest skeptical podcasts out there there are a few of those but um they're definitely worth listening to of course i hope we are too but i checked out a few of those podcasts they are actually the only skeptical podcast among the nominees there is one other that i'm a regular listener of that is the naked scientist mm-hmm. yeah which is also very a very good very good uh science yeah i listen to that as science well. podcast yeah it. yeah so if you haven't listened to the reality check go check them out and uh give them your vote uh i do recommend you do that they they really deserve the podcast award Okay, uh, so let's move on to the event. So one event you shouldn't forget about is the 29th of May, Sunday. That's when the voting starts about the podcast awards. But let's see what's happening in the coming week after the release of this episode. On the 28th of May... On Saturday, uh, if you go to Stockholm, you can meet yours truly and a lot of the other uh, on th- of the board of the Swedish skeptics. There will be a skeptics in the pub uh, at the Magic Bar, which is, of course, a very suitable place to be. Uh, it's a social event, no speaker, but uh, we always have a very good time there. Mm. And Stockholm is a very nice place. On the same day, the 28th of May, um, there will be a, a skeptics in the pub in Madrid with Carlos Rodriguez and um, they will be discussing veterinary pseudoscience. So there you go, there is a veterinary pseudoscience. I, I never thought about it, but yes, sh- well, sure, why not? I mean, it is. Have you ever been to Madrid? No, I'd love to go. Oh, I, ha- mm. I have been there. Isn't it gorgeous? I didn't enjoy it, but that's, but that was, really? Oh, uh, nah, that oh no! Why? What happened? Well, did you do you have a food poisoning or something? No, 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 no. no. no that's a long story. No, let's not go into that. Oh okay. dear! <gasps> Ooh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a lovely city Bond. in the right circumstances. Oh yeah. Pontus, he was a bad, bad boy. No, <laughs> don't call me that. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Pre- I I would love to see it again because uh, when I was there, I was madly in love with a Spanish girl. Aww. So th- that might have elevated my my uh, emotional status. Definitely. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that 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 could have added a lot to my experience. Yeah, I didn't have that advantage. <laughs> okay. Cute. All right. So with a bit of a hiatus on Sunday and Monday, uh, but on Sunday, don't forget the podcast awards. On Tuesday, there is Cologne Skeptics in the Pub, or Köln Skeptics in the Pub, that's in Germany. Apparently, um, the the speaker is um, quite a regular uh, speaker at the Skeptics in the Pub. Uh, his name is uh, Dr. Mark Benecke, and the title is The Sected, The Life of the Corner Otto Prokop. There will be Skeptics in the Pub in Cambridge on the 31st of May. Oh, yeah? 
they have a very interesting talk on by Robin Taj um, that's titled um, North Korea Beyond the Potemkin Illusion. Now, I had to Google various bits of this. Um, first of all, but apparently Potemkin Illusion, if it, it's like almost like window dressing. So when something is there just to create an illusion of let's say wealth or or, st uh, or some sort of stability and whatever so of course um with north korea i don't know what angle would could be taken maybe of what the north korea is, it seems but actually what's underneath is different so it's a very interesting topic um Cambridge Skeptics in the Pub. And on the 3rd of June, there is a Social Skeptics in the Pub in The Hague in the Netherlands. Awesome. Go along if you're the, you're around the place. Yes. Um, all right. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. I think this is the best time to move on to our interview with uh, a very well-known skeptic in Europe. That's Amardeo Sharma. On almost every episode, we interview someone who represents a skeptical organization, group or project, either from a certain European country or stretching across borders. Today's guest has been very active in the German and international skeptic movement for many years. An electrical engineer by training, he is a fellow of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry and he was co-founder of the German Society for the Scientific Investigation of Parasciences, also known as GWP in which he's been playing a very important role ever since. First, he was managing director of the organization until 2008, when he was elected chairman, the position he holds to this day. He was also among the initiators of the Umbrella Organization, the European Council of Skeptical Organizations, uh, also known by the acronym EXO, where he was chairman between the years 2000 and 2013. Amardeo Sharma, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, it's been a while that we've, we've planned to, to have you in the show, so it's, uh, it's really great to, um, to be here with you now. We've mentioned GWP, uh, which is the German Skeptical Organization. It's considered widely to be also the oldest German-speaking skeptical organization. How long a history does it actually have? The German organization GWP was founded in 1987, and has been growing ever since. Of course, at the time when we started, we had about 50 members, and today we have over 1,400 members, 1,400 members. So that's, I think, pretty good. And in addition to that, we also have about 2,500 subscribers to the German magazine Skeptica. But if you look at it this way, there was a kind of earlier predecessor to GWP, but that's a long time ago. That was in the, the 1920s. That was an organization against quackery, which existed until about the early 30s and then died. Um, and since then, there has been nothing else until GWP came up again. But again, at the time, uh, the previous organization mainly considered only medical issues, whereas we are, of course, much broader today. Is it something similar to the Association Against Quackery in the Netherlands? Um, was there any kind of connection between the two? I really don't know because that's historical data that we don't have access okay. to. I assume okay. there must have been some contact between the two, but in um, the Dutch organization continues to exist until this very day, but unfortunately the German organization died. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are, are there other skeptical organizations within this, if we, if we look at the German-speaking uh, area of Europe? 
Yes, there are the uh, Schweizer Skeptica, for example. That's a rather young group that's been founded in Zurich. Uh, so that's another organization in the German-speaking area. And then we have the Gesellschaft für, für Kritisches Denken in uh, Vienna, in Austria. But they are a subgroup of the GWP, even though they have their own legal status as well. Okay, so you have uh, different chapters also within Germany and then in, in Austria. How does that work? Yes, that that works pretty well because we have uh, we have what we call regional group, regional groups uh, all over Germany and Austria. So it's not just in Vienna. Uh, the number of them and some of them are more active than others. Um, we had the last Skepcon was organized by the Hamburg skeptics, for example. So that's part of the overall organization and movement, if you like, today is not just the main organization, uh, GWP, but a number of smaller organizations in um, various parts of the German-speaking world. Now, as a, opposed to the other regional groups, the Schweizer Skeptica are an independent, a completely independent group. And you, you put um, you put on events, um, etc. Because I, I know you mentioned the Skepcon. Um, that was was organized um, recently. Are there any other activities and sort of um, things that that's going on? Yes, uh, we do have skeptics in the pub, like in the UK. We have mm -hmm. them in many places as well. Some of them are partially, completely independent, or so from partially to completely independent of the GWP. Some of them are co-organized. Some of them are completely separate. There are also some um, meetups that are done by expats from other places in English. So that happens in Berlin, for example. So it's overall quite a vibrant community, if you like. And not always are we all in contact with each other, but we try as GWP to keep things as organized as we can to make sure that information flows together and we can act in a coordinated way. Yeah, it's very interesting to hear that you said that, that you've got similar to Skeptics in the Pub um, movement as well, because um, I thought it's a very English thing to meet in the pub, uh, have a pint and discuss uh, uh, current topics. But uh, it's good to hear that Germany has got sort of similar thing going on. Yes, it does. What kind of issues are you most uh, debating or working against or for in 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 GWP? In the last couple of years, um, medicine has been a major issue. Uh, this year, we have launched a platform called Information Network Homeopathy, for example, to provide critical information and science-based information on homeopathy and all the claims behind it. So this is a major issue in the sense that there's a lot of support, not just in uh, amongst some doctors, but it's getting more and more attention in universities and a lot of political support. And that's why we thought that this is the right time now to put up a really strong effort to inform the public about what's really behind homeopathy. And one of the great pieces of luck that we've had is that we've had um, a homeopathic doctor, Natalie Grams, who used to practice homeopathy and who started critically investigating her own claims, so to say, and then turned skeptic. And she is now the leader of the uh, German information network um, homeopathy, which um, speaks up against homeopathy. So that's been very useful. And we've had a number of other cases like that. Well, it's at least in two other cases we've had um, people who've been practicing either naturopathy or something of the sort or homeopathy and have now turned skeptic. And I think that's been a big boost for us. 
Yeah, we we all know a person from Germany who now lives in the UK uh, and has a very similar story. That's yes. uh, Edzard Ernst. <laughs> that's uh, true. That's uh, that's a very old story, but another very nice story for us. Yes. Yeah. So it 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 seems to me like a pattern that 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 reoccurs in in your country. This, this is why uh, I cannot help asking what you see as the impact of the skeptic movement on society at large in Germany. So does it have a really good impact, what you're doing? Yes, I think we finally do, because if you look back about 10 years, uh, at that time, homeopathy and alternative medicine got away with the most preposterous claims in most of the newspapers and magazines. But I think the tide has turned quite a bit over the last 10 years. And now you see even a lot of people who are not directly members of GWP or even perhaps really know about us who have started criticizing homeopathy. And uh, there are a lot of journalists who write critically. So the situation has changed quite a bit. And I think that's a very positive thing. But we must still rem remember that that's a minority overall and they are mostly science journalists and if you look at politics in general and uh, whichever party you look at they all support natural medicine and remedies and homeopathy and the like so there's a long way still to go ahead so you mentioned the media as well um, so do you get lots of chances to get into the media to to talk to the general public like television and radio channels uh, do give you the the room to to spread these ideas now that has increased this particular year but i must say in general that's not usually the way we influence or we have influence in the uh, uh, on television or on the radio very often we provide information and later on you find a critical report on homeopathy or natural medicine or some other topic and there's no mention about the gwp and uh, so on the one hand we are a bit sad about that because we said we did all the work and nothing happens at the end we are not mentioned but we are also very glad that uh, this is being done more more often and that our information has been taken up and that we are taken seriously and our information is taken seriously mm -hmm. Um, as we all know, as I'm not saying we, uh, people who are present on this call, that the, one of the best forums for skeptics is a conference because we all attend different conferences and, um, and meet new people and listen to the wonderful talks. Um, so we just want, I want to go back to the, um, Skepcon that, that we have mentioned a couple of times. Will you tell us about it, how it went this year? It, um, uh, what kind of topics were covered? I've, try to go online to have a look uh, a little bit about the conference and uh, Google translated some of the talks and they look very interesting but um, if if you could sort of expand on it a little bit well this year we didn't have a very strong focus in on one particular topic what but one new topic that we did take up and which is being increasingly taken up in many skeptical organizations is the issue about uh, genetically more, uh, modified uh, food or organisms gmos because uh, mostly in europe there's a very negative view about that and they're seen as being uh, huge threat to the environment and to health and which is quite opposed to what the scientific consensus is so we took the opportunity this time to talk about gmos and what they really are and what are the myths about gmos and very often what uh, negative effects for example the european uh, position on gmos has on developing countries 
And uh, so that was taken up very well and was uh, also uh, the two of those videos are in fact now available online so you can have a look at them. So that was one part. Then we also had uh, Dr. Natalie Grams, who I mentioned earlier, the ex-homeopath who now is a leader within our movement. Um, and uh, she gave a very nice talk and which was also very well received. So I think overall the conference this year was well received and um, we didn't have quite as many people attending as the last two or three times, but uh, with almost 200 people, I think it was still very good. Mm-hmm. And we're looking forward now to the next uh, SCEPCON uh, 2017, because then we'll be celebrating 30 years of, t- of GVOP. And I think that's a fantastic achievement that we've had. Excellent, yeah. yeah. So you, you're involved in, in both the German skeptic movement and the international skeptic movement, and and uh, it, as we all know, it takes a lot of time, and you, of course, you, you you work. It's this is a hobby, sort of. How how did you how did you personally become engaged in in the skeptic movement? Well, that's that's an interesting story. I used to as a as I was when I was very young, I used to read Erich von Däniken and Charles Berlitz with their very fascinating stories, and then I did manage to get hold of one or the other book that took this up seriously and under scientific uh, under a scientific viewpoint and then i read a book by larry cushy called the bermuda triangle solved and that was one of the uh, things that got me thinking and uh, to the effect that i've been kind of cheated by these books uh, so far and that uh, how come this information was not available to me before so at that point, I decided that something has got to be done to provide more critical, skeptical, and science-based information to the public so that people don't get fooled, at least the way I was, because they were just listening to things in a very one-sided way. And then came a very big um, item on um, Scientific American, which I think was a kind of big bang for the whole skeptical movement worldwide. Um, uh, Scientific American has a German translation called Spektrum der Wissenschaft, which um, translated uh, an article by Douglas Hofstadter about David versus Goliath, where they pointed out to the Skeptical Inquirer and the National Inquirer, one of them, of course, uh, talking all sorts of rubbish, and the Skeptical Inquirer, the little magazine, trying to do something against it. So that time I uh, decided to subscribe to the Skeptical Inquirer, And uh, through the Skeptical Inquirer and through an initiative uh, which went worldwide at the time, um, a few years later, a lot of the other skeptical groups were born. So I think this one particular article by Douglas Hofstadter, 1982, probably played a much bigger role than many people think. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That is very interesting. And uh, did that determine the kind of uh, topics that you've you got involved with as well? Um, yes, and um, that was at least a starting point, even though I've since then been relatively uninvolved in the issues related to Erich von Däniken and, uh, and Charles Berlitz, for example. But at the time when uh, GWP was being formed, there were the issues about Yuri Geller, which were kind of fading away. But there was a lot of um, attention being given in, in Germany, also within the political uh, scene, and with, uh, with supporting uh, scientific investigation to things like dowsing that brought us um, up in arms, if you like. 
And mm-hmm. uh, so we decided to take that issue up right at the very start um, because there was uh, there was some investigations being done in, uh, in Germany, which we thought were not very well organized and planned. Uh, so that was one point, and very much from the start as well, because the first president of uh, GVUP, Professor Imgard Oepen, uh, who was a um, doctor herself, medical doctor, uh, she um, influenced GVUP very strongly in the direction of taking up alternative medicine of all kinds, and she had written a number of books. So besides the uh, dowsing uh, topic Alternative medicine had been very strong as one issue to be dealt with in GVUP since the very beginning of the organization. And, of course, after that, we had a number of the other issues as well, like UFOs and uh, and uh, crop circles and so on, which always come and go. Um, and that has expanded uh, up to this very day. Medicine has become more and more important because at the time when we started um, – even though there was a lot of widespread alternative medicine, it was by far not as bad as it was today. And I remember the first time I was in the U.S., uh, people in the U.S. said, well, this looks like a European um, affair and it's not going to come to the U.S. And if you go to the U.S. today and look at the conferences there, you'll see that the situation is quite different. And um, unfortunately, European pseudo-medicine and alternative medicine have made it to the United States. So that makes it also very clear that we need to have international cooperation to be able to exchange information. And of of late, if you look at a number of organizations worldwide, you will see also that other topics have come into the field, like um, the topic of global warming. Um, which has been an issue in Skeptical Inquirer, which uh, has been at conferences where we have had a joint statement issued at uh, the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, for example, of which I co-signed, and also of late uh, GMOs and uh, the um, the myths around GMOs. And uh, so that has been a topic also at the last um, conference in the United States and now also in, in Germany. So we see that we, ha- we are starting to deal with, I think, uh, correctly so, with a lot of other topics about which there is a lot of misinformation about the science behind these things. So, so you mentioned this international angle. Uh, how do you see the role of EXO, the European Council of Skeptical Organizations? Do we Should EXO be coordinating lobbying activities and, and things like that? Or what do you see as the, the, the purpose? Well, um, in reality, EXO mainly organizes the uh, biannual conferences. And we should be doing a lot more. But one of the problems that we have, because a lot of the work that we do is voluntary, um, once the conferences are over, people go back to their individual countries and organizations, and they have all the stuff which they need to do back home. So there's very little time, extra cycles that they can use for European uh, level organizations, something that I noticed myself. And that's been one of the problems. And that's why I think it's an excellent thing that uh, uh, people like you have taken this up at a European level, quite independent of EXO and GWP, and just do that one particular thing at a European level. I think that's the kind of thing that we need much more. Yeah, it's 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 good to hear that from you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's it's quite encouraging. Yeah, and um, obviously, uh, when when one starts to do something like that, um, there is the slight chance of uh, of having an effect like. Um, encouraging others to do it as well 
Have you noticed uh, this effect taking place, like that um, uh, grassroots activities emerging out of uh, the the activities of uh, GVUP or EXO? So is it happening? Yes, it is happening. And one of those um, effects are things like the regional groups that we have. But even if you look at skeptics in the pub, they're at least partially influenced by GVUP. So that's um, people get motivated by the kind of work that we do. And uh, we see that in activities, once again, like yours, which come up at the European level. So I think when there is a kind of place where people can meet and start thinking about things, then new things happen and start emerging. We've had the initiative Homeopathy, for example, this year, which is completely new. We were surprised by how many people have got involved in that particular network. Uh, At the very first meeting, the person organizing it had expected maybe 10 or 12 people and in the end we had over 40 people attending that event so that was really an astounding success so i think sometimes it's just what's just missing is a kind of initial kickoff of something mm-hmm. and then things just take off and we just need more of that that's why it's far not by far not enough what we're doing yeah after all it's uh, this movement at large is mainly based on grassroots activities um so this is this is interesting but there are some organizations around europe uh where there is this emergence of uh positions like um full-time positions to run things that that can yes it can really have a big impact uh and one would think that with such a large organization with so many members uh GVUP must be capable of of maintaining at least one or two positions like that. Is there anything of that kind happening in GVUP? Yes. In fact, since um, 1999, we have a full-time position or an almost full-time position, which is the uh, head of our Center for uh, Science and Critical Thinking, in um, in Rostov, so we have one full-time person now, and in the meanwhile, we have a paid um, person for the uh, Inge Husken, who runs the Skeptiker magazine, and we have two part-time people uh, in the office just to keep things like membership management and so on going. So if you look at it overall, we have about, if you in total, about two full-time equivalent people working for GVUP, and that's a great, great support because they can answer questions that come up during the day yeah. because most of us, as you know, work during the day and other uh, things. Uh, all the people who do honorary work, like you and myself and others, uh, they cannot answer questions in the middle of the day. They can't take phone calls in the middle of the day. So yeah. I think having a kind of base like that, even if it's very small, is a big benefit. Yeah, it, it really does make a difference. Uh, and can it be maintained through membership fees, or is there any other kind of uh, source, resource that, that you can get a hold of? Well, no, we have basically no other resource than membership fees, which are at uh, about a, it's, it's at about 90 euros a year. But if you have 1,400 members, of course, then quite a bit of money does come in. In addition to that, we also... Um, sell Skeptica four times a year so some money comes in for that as well but of course there are expenses at the same time so it's a kind of uh, mixed 
uh, accounting to say, okay, we need part of this to pay for the paper and for things like that and for running web websites and so on. But we also yeah. use a substantial part of our income uh, for to pay people to actually keep the organization running. So I think this this uh, we've managed to come up to this level, and uh, we, I think uh, it would be good if organizations like in Germany, but in other parts of Europe and the world, would have. Uh, a base of four to five people full-time paid to run the organization because I think that would make a huge difference across the uh, skeptical organizations. But as I pointed out, there's a long way to go uh, until we reach that level. But we should be trying to do that in all countries. Does that actually mean in your country that uh, you have the resources to to do some kind of political lobbying as well um, in order to, to to make a difference on a political level? Or that that is out of out of the the actual reach of the organization. Well, at the moment, the most of the um, action we do take is through press releases, where we try to do take some influence. We've started at a very small scale to go to um, some ministries where they have hearings and to start to make ourselves be heard. But that's been very isolated so far. We need to increase that. But we have started some work in that direction as well. But that's a very minor activity at the moment. Most of the activity is in providing information for the public uh, um, about the various uh, pseudoscientific and parascientific claims. But do I understand well that um, uh, information network homeopathy uh, does a bit of both? No, Actually? information uh, um, network homeopathy has runs two sites. One is more for the general public. Uh, providing information, things like it does no harm. You probably yeah, yeah. know of the um, site called What's the Harm. We started a part of the uh, website also goes into cases in Germany where homeopathy has caused harm, for example. And uh, But then there's another site which is uh, which we call Homeopedia, which is also run by the same network. And that's more for professionals and people who want to understand homeopathy homeopathy more deeply and um, so that's the kind of resource if you need arguments uh, at a scientific level when you when you when you talk with other scientists or people who claim to be scientists that really sounds awesome <laughs> and i think i think these two in combination do a pretty good piece of work and um, we may set up similar networks in other areas as well but uh, at the moment homeopathy is the one big network we set up Of course, you do get general information on our general website um, on other issues like anthroposophic medicine or UFOs or uh, other topics that we deal with. Um, on the GWP site, um, where there is a little bit of information about yourself and career and activities, um, at the bottom where it says the relevant interests, um, uh, it says th that um, you're interested in the Shroud of Turin. Is that something you've have had researched or how, why? <laughs> I'm guess, I guess, uh, yeah. That's in fact another very strange story behind this because uh, the very first uh, magazine of Skeptical Inquirer that I received had an article about uh, the Shroud of Turin. And since then, I've also had contacts with Joe Nickel, who's been very much involved in this area, and also Luigi Galaskelli, who you probably also know is very famous in the European yeah. skeptics scene. And uh, so from that point on, I've been reading a lot about it, and uh, from both pro books and, and uh, books that are against, um, that are more critical about the Shroud of Turin. So that at that time, because there were many claims that were coming up, I um, did manage to 
uh, write a number of articles on that in the German Skeptical, but also on our website, had a couple of blog pieces as well. So that's one of the topics that I have had more um, more uh, intensive contact with. However, research in the sense of having access to the Shroud of Turin, unfortunately, that's a very difficult proposition, as you may imagine, to have that. So it's been mostly reading the literature and understanding the various points of view and making a solid scientific assessment out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you mentioned um, collaborations with uh, with other um, skeptics from around the world. You mentioned Joe Nickel, uh, Luigi Garlaschelli as well. Um, do you have a large network of international collaborations apart from EXO? Well, yes, I do have contacts, for example, being partially Indian myself, I have contact with the Indian rationalists who uh, also do a lot of good grassroots work there. Of course, they have a completely different level of problems than we do here. And uh, what we do here is pretty safe in the sense that you can be reasonably sure you don't get attacked in public and so on. That's quite different in India. Those who do work in India to promote science and critical thinking and what they call rationalism in India is is a much more dangerous proposition. You can get beaten up and you can uh, can be threatened. And there have been also cases where rationalists have been murdered. And uh, so that's that's a completely different game in India than you have here. And so I'm actually quite proud to have to know a couple of very, um, very active Indian rationalists as well. Yeah, we recently interviewed uh, Sanale Damaruku. Um, the actuality of uh, the interview was uh, the the Rationalist International Conference in uh, Tallinn. Estonia. Yeah, in Estonia. Well, Tal- yeah, Tal- yeah. Yeah. Yes. And in India also, there's the, there are a number of grassroots movements. And, and uh, I, there's also the uh, president of the uh, Rationalist Association, there's Narendra Nayak, mm-hmm. who... Um, also does a lot of lot of good work uh, in many parts of uh, India going around. I've actually been with him in one of his uh, in one of his education rounds where he goes to colleges in villages. You won't believe that there are colleges in villages where people still sit on the floor and he explains to them how these gurus do their tricks and things like that. And that's quite fascinating to see that happen. And I was uh, with him in one of his tours recently. Well, recently means about three years ago. And you mentioned that uh, you're originally from uh, India. Were you born there or your family is from India? And I'm half Indian, half German. My mother is German and my father is Indian. And it's a very complicated story. I was born in Germany, but I grew up in India. So I'm pretty well connected with both uh, countries. Awesome. And, and you have quite an Italian sounding uh, first name. Yes, that's because my parents decided to um, crossbreed a German and an Indian name, which turned out to be Italian. <laughs> <laughs> so you're also a member of CSI. So can you tell me a little bit of what you do in that capacity? Well, as far as uh, CSI is concerned, the activity of um, I'm, I'm an, a member of the executive committee of CSI besides being a fellow. Now, being a fellow doesn't mean you're actually active in the organization. Many people are not in the sense that they are uh, called upon once in a while to give a talk or to, um, to uh, support a statement being issued by CSI. But being a fellow doesn't naturally mean that you are actually involved in the running of the organization or involved in the organization directly in that way. It's different when you're a member of the executive committee, which I am also at the moment. Um, but even there, the influence is rather limited at the moment. We do meet once once a year usually. 
and we um, review the Skeptical Inquirer magazine um, before it is published. So that's the kind of activity that we do. But CSI is mainly run in the U.S. by the board uh, there. So the um, uh, so the CSI other CSI members are uh, lightweight members, if you like. Can you tell us, please, if there are any new projects in the pipeline for GWP? Well, yes. Um, the the project is actually the coming um, 30th anniversary. So we are trying to put a bit more effort in all kinds of public activities. We want to make the conference a bit bigger than it's uh, usually and uh, hope to be able to attract people more than what we have right now. But at the moment, we are also very busy with um, getting our current uh, project that we've just started, the uh, Information Network Homeopathy, really strong. So the start has been very good, but as uh, you might imagine, very often when you start something, it tends to taper off after a little while. So it's going to be very important for us to make sure that this uh, Information Network Homeopathy runs in a very stable manner for the next um, for the next couple of years and uh, beyond, to make it a kind of permanent uh, institution. But there is one other um, project that we are running right now, which is to create a brochure, a uh, pamphlet for, um, for parents, for young parents, who are very often the uh, victims, if you like, of a lot of uh, alternative medicine supporters and practitioners who tell mothers and fathers that their kids really need to have homeopathy or this kind of natural remedies and that they should avoid chemical uh, substances and things like that and a lot of other nonsense. Mm. And uh, very often uh, parents have um, are very helpless in this uh, condition because uh, even doctors uh, tend to go in this direction. So what we're going to do is to set up a little booklet um, which uh, is kind of... Um, what do you call it, advisory um, booklet for parents uh, of, of things that may turn out to be dangerous that is being offered to them. And so I think that's very important uh, also because uh, we know for certain that there are a number of young women, for example, who joined uh, GVUP because they were so upset about the kind of offers that were being made from uh, to them. But, of course, that's just a small minority, and most of them are taken in by this. And so we think that's a very important um, uh, target uh, group for us, that is to um, young parents who may be susceptible to this kind of uh, uh, misinformation. So that's one clear project that we have ahead of us right now. Mm. And where can people follow uh, uh, the work of GWP? Um, how can they find out more? Well, there are two places. I think the best place would be uh, to look at our blog, which is blog.gwp.net. Uh, if you go there, you see uh, the uh, the most um, recent news about what's going on, not in, not only in the GWP, but uh, beyond in all kinds of areas. Uh, and also join the Facebook group, for example, um, and uh, become a fan of GWP on Facebook where you get a lot of information as well. So you can get a lot of information there. But then, of course, if you are in a region where there's a local or regional group, that's a great place to be because then you meet real skeptics and you can uh, discuss with them, have a drink together and things like that. About the, this conference you're putting up next year for the 30th anniversary, um 
that's going to be still all in German, is that right? That's going to be all in German at the moment, okay. but um, we are still looking at, I'm still considering whether we have a pre-event, uh, maybe in the evening before, where we have some English talks as well, but that's still very much in the making. By the way, if you want to uh, announce this, it's going to be at the end of April. It's going to be on the 29th and 30th of April and the 1st of May. So those are the dates to put into your diary right now if you want to come to the next conference. And it's going to be in Berlin. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, we'll definitely put it in the, in the skeptical calendar. Um, uh, that's for sure. But um, there are some international events as well um, in the making. And you you've been... Even though uh, since 2013 uh, you're not acting as chairman of EXO um, since um, Gabor was elected chairman, uh, but you're still playing an important role in the organization. Where would you like to see that move? What direction would you like to see that move, uh, I mean EXO, in the next couple of years? So do you, do you have an idea of, of what you imagine for the future of EXO? Yes, um, there are a couple of things that I think would be very important. One is to uh, make sure that these conferences that are held every two years are much more popular and much more, much better attended so that we can achieve, again, numbers like 200 and 300, as we have done a couple of times in the past. So I think yeah. that's, um, that's one clear target. The other is that I think something that Gabor has taken up right now, which is to revitalize the uh, website. Mm -hmm. It's going to be very important to make sure that uh, information about European skeptics are made available. Uh, I once again say that activities like yours should continue and become stronger. Uh, that's clearly one part of it as well. And then finally, I think that's going to be the most difficult. We need to at some stage set up um, a very strong lobby group, if you like, for science and critical thinking towards yeah. European institutions like the European Parliament and the European Commission. I think that it would be a huge target, but there's, again, a long way to go. And um, so we still need to do a lot at the European level. And uh, to overcome, let's say, the situation that we have that uh, most people, once the main events are over, go back to their countries and uh, have other problems there to solve, which are important as well. But some amount of resources are certainly going to be needed at the European level as well. And that's going to be a very difficult job ahead of us. Yeah, but it has to be done. I think we can um, only promise that we're going to do our best to do our part. Um, in this plan it really sounds like a plan so we should uh, take take it to heart i think i hope to to uh, meet you again very soon at one of the conferences the the next conference is the the huge task of the czech and polish skeptics right <laughs> right exactly and they have a huge task ahead of them that's going to be next year right also next year so that's another reason why it might not be a very good idea to have um an English um, partial conference because we'd be kind of competing with the European conference at the same time. So uh, if it was in the other year, it might have been different. But since both of them are 2017, it could oh, be yeah. different. But what we might still think of doing is to have an evening, uh, an international evening or something where we have maybe two or three talks in English and get some of the expats who live in Berlin and surroundings to join. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's. And anybody else who wants to come to Germany and 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 attend the rest of the conference as well, because I think part of the reason for going to conferences, um, at least the way I've I've seen this happen, is people just don't come there to hear talks. They also come there to meet other people, and yeah. to people that they've not met over the last year or two, and to yeah. speak within the skeptical community. Uh, that's a huge event as well, and that's this kind of emotional. Uh, factor of conferences uh, is also very important. Yeah, it's quite overlooked very often uh, the necessity of this emotional factor because we are we are all human. Yeah, we're still human, believe it or not. We're still human. Yes, it's good that we are. Right. <laughs> we we need that emotional factor, even though we are promoting hard science, we are promoting the critical thinking and evidence, but still emotions are what keep us uh, in motion so it's 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 very important uh one more thing that i i wanted to ask um about wikipedia are you as an organization involved in uh, editing wikipedia articles german wikipedia articles no unfortunately no that's one thing that we're not active in very much i know some members do that as a kind of hobby but that's there's no coordinated effort on that uh, are you involved in that Uh, with uh, Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia with uh, Susan Gerbic, yes. Um, we are out quite loosely lately because of the podcast mainly because uh, we've, we've used, used up all our times. But uh, this, is, this is how actually we, we all met in the first place. So that's, that's quite a good initiative. And uh, since there are lots of German-speaking people in the world, do, do you... Do you know, not exactly, but do you have an estimate of how many people have German as their uh, first language in Europe? Well, I think it should be around 100 million. Wow, that's a lot of people. There are about 80 million in Germany, and then I think there should be about 20 million in, in Austria and Switzerland together. So at least 100 million, I would say. Wow, so that's a that's a great part of the cake. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid this has been all we had time for in terms of the interview uh, with you. It's been great to have you on the ESP. And thank you once again for having me. That's absolutely our pleasure. Thank you. So, Amardeo Sharma, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Ooh, this has been fun. It's very interesting. Very much yeah. so. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you think of Germany as the country, but actually, if you look at how many people speak German in, in Europe, it's it's much bigger than that. So it's interesting. Yeah. One wouldn't think that, that 100 million people actually have German as, as their first language. That's brilliant. And, you know, everything that we talked about with uh, Amardeo, is so encouraging, it's so motivating that you really want to do something very useful. You you really want to, to, to get out there and do it. Because what we've heard about is so much, it's such a great amount of achievements, great achievements yeah. there. The, and the yeah. potential of doing something on, on a European scale is really yeah. uh, interesting. What he proposed as... Um, as a European level actions that that should be taken. I totally subscribe to all that. Really. So let's do it, guys. Absolutely. Sure. But not today. <laughs>
<laughs> because I'm afraid this has been all that we could squeeze into this episode. This has been super fun again. So, Yelena and Pontus, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. And yeah, let's do it again next week. Let's. Indeed. But until then, goodbye. Bye. Bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rob and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. You did some really aggressive clapping there, Yelena. I don't know why. It was, <laughs> it was from the heart. Yes, from it the was heart. like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening here? I'm scared. <laughs> yeah, don't be scared. It'll be all right. You know, she, she's going to punch you over Skype. I don't think you have to be afraid. You're not even in the same country. Um, have you checked um, postcard, post, postcards? <laughs> post, postcards? Postcards Awards? So, <laughs> so well, Postcards ha- Awards here, but the best postcard. <laughs> so, have you checked uh, postcards? <laughs> Podcasts. Pod? Fuck me. Repeat after me, Andres. Pod cast awards. On Friday, the third of first, on, on the third. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs>